Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, if you're listening in real time, starting a brand new week here on the show. Hope you had a great weekend. Um, we have a really distinguished panel, people with genuine accomplishments and long resumes. For instance, Jim Galloway, he is the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Been working for the Constitution for how many It'll be 40 in May. 40 years. Wow. You must have started when you were seven, Jim. I did. I did. I did. And I think you and I, are, I think we're older than our other two panelists here. I'm, I'm older than almost anybody who comes in here. And uh, Jim, of course, you see him in the uh, Wednesday and Sunday edition of the newspaper itself. And he oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com. Uh, Mary Margaret Oliver. Who? How long, if you take your Senate service and combine it with your current service in the state house, where you represent Decatur, how many years in the legislature? Well, I've had two terms, right. two tours in the House. I right. think it's 27-ish in that range. Why do I think of you in the Senate side? Were you in the House from the very beginning? I started in the House. Okay. Uh, with... Uh, Speaker Murphy. Okay. And then went to the Senate and right. then was out oh. of my gap years right. after I lost an election and then I came back. Okay. Boy, I didn't, I know I'm getting older, but I do remember that you were in the state uh, Senate. What committees are you on now? Judiciary, Appropriations, Government Affairs, Science and Technology, and Juvenile Justice. I have great committees. Yeah. You mean you mean the House lets female lawyers on the House on the, on the Judiciary I Committee? I even chaired it wow. one year. Wow. I even chaired it one year. Wow. Send that message across the hall to the Senate right now. They're still struggling with that whole issue about the women who are getting and not getting the assignments they want. Rusty, women who are not getting the assignments are all the ones who graduated with honors, <laughs> law review, all that kind of thing, too. And Sandy Springs Mayor Rusty Paul is with us. He has a long and distinguished uh, career as well. Former chairman of the state Republican Party, worked for um, one of the great Republican uh, leaders, Jack Kemp, at the uh, Department of Housing and Urban Development back, what, in the 90s, 88 to, well, 89 to 93. And then was out on the uh, Kemp campaign uh, for, for some time. I still, to this day, Rusty, and I tell you this with some regularity, have in my closet a blue foam rubber football (laughs) with Kemp for president written on it that on the first campaign trip, Jack Kemp uh, announced in a committee room in Washington on the Hill. And then we all got an airplane and flew to Buffalo. And as the plane took off, Jack and his son... uh, broke into a crate of uh, foam rubber footballs and threw them out to everyone on board. We all need to clean out our closets. Yes. Uh, you know, I worked for him for years, and he, had, he signed footballs for all kinds of people, and I never got one. And I mentioned that to his longtime secretary, Sharon Zalaska, and she sent me the one that he signed for her from the 88 oh, presidential campaign. Wow. And I wow, have that. Wow. Oh, wow. That's yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah. All right. Um, thank you for letting me uh, do an introduction where we talk a little more personally about all of you. Uh, Jim, let's get right into some uh, – well, let's do some breaking news first. We, we do have a first uh, from the attorney general of Georgia, Chris Carr. He has now filed criminal uh, indictments. It's a misdemeanor criminal act. But filed against um, Jenna Garland, who was Kasim Reed's press secretary at City Hall when Kasim was mayor, and they're for violations of the Open Records Act. First time ever, you tell first, us. First time individual uh, criminal prosecution. It, the, 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 the two instances are, are the, the two charges are misdemeanors, so we're not talking felony here. Uh, and uh, it, it arises from uh, from texts she sent to fellow staffers, uh, advising them to slow walk and uh, 
present information in as com complicated a form as, as, as possible. It was a request from the AJC and, uh, and your partner, WSB-TV, about some activity in the watershed department. And uh, the, uh, there were texts that we, the paper, if you go to uh, the Political Insider blog, you'll, you'll see them reprinted there. She suggests to the woman at watershed management, be as unhelpful as possible, drag this out as long as possible, and provide information in the most confusing format available. So, uh, Mary Margaret, it's pretty blatant it, it, the uh, effort to keep the, the news media from getting a hold of this stuff. And you have evidence that that's clear, that clear in writing. Uh, I think Chris Carr was obligated to bring these charges. And even though it's quote-unquote only a misdemeanor, you're talking about an arrest charge and a mugshot for the rest of your life. Yeah. This is serious. And it's, and it's rather sad. It's very sad because we all make the mistakes. I think we all make the mistakes of making stupid comments in writing on that's distributed to the world. And we have to own up to the mistakes that we make. And this was a serious mistake she made. Rusty, this sets this is it it's it sends a message. It does. It does. And and uh, you know, let me let me say up front that I'm a great supporter of the open records law. I think it's one of the fundamental aspects of our democracy to give have open, transparent government. But I'll say this, the staff, not the political people, because we don't have to go digging through all the files, but the staff, the amount of staff hours that it takes to answer these is, is rather significant. But it is an important part of the de democratic process, open, transparent government, and uh, it, you should take that aspect of it very seriously if you're in, in any form of public life. And, and, it, and, and it would be worth extending to cover oh, say the, like legislature. the legislature. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> As a state legislator, I file FOIA requests myself. I mean, as a legislator, when I ask for information from entities of the state, they don't necessarily give it to me any more quickly than they do to the press. So it's a very valuable tool. How and if it were extended to the General, General Assembly, that'd be fine with me. Um, that's a point worth making. You, you said it, but let's emphasize it. The legislature passed a statute exempting themselves from open records. Yeah, I think that it exempted the judiciary as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, otherwise, uh, everybody but them. Well, in your uh, your attorney con uh, conversations are right. privileged mm -hmm. under under the privileges of, of attorney client and real estate. Uh, real estate. Uh, there are many issues yeah. of sec that are in executive session around personnel and purchasing and procurement yeah. that are protected conversation. And if, as a legislator, if it extended to the legislator. Uh, every email I sent helping you with the intersection in front of the Y on Claremont Road or the speeding on uh, Lawrenceville Highway in front of Westchester Elementary School, those are the kind of things that I guess people have a right to see. Well, even those things we, ha we can do in executive session, like pers personnel, like uh, land acquisition, uh, we still can't act. It so only, it still only, has to be only ratified in, a, in public. Yeah, we can only act in a public. We can discuss it. Uh, but we can't take any official action except for in a public forum. Uh, we should point out, uh, before we move on, that Jenna Garland, actually, there were, we, I read a couple of lines from the texts uh, that she sent to the watershed management folks. Uh, but in a second incident, uh, she, w when the request were, she sent another message saying, don't do anything to process these requests until they come back and ask another time, putting the burden back on the news organization. So it's a pretty f uh, flagrant a violation. Why didn't Paul Howard prosecute? Uh, okay. Would you like to guess at that, Mary Margaret? I, I don't speculate, okay. but I think it's a clear violation. She made the mistake of putting something in writing, whether she intended to be a joke or whether she intended to be dead serious. She put it in writing. Well, I think uh, I think the law requires the attorney general to uh, be the one who the arbiter of, these. Of, of open records. I don't think, you know, your, your local district attorney probably can do it. It's, it's yeah. a state statute. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, I can, actually, Sam Olins, yeah. Sam Olins was involved in a lot of negotiations. On the rewrite on, right. about five years ago. All right. Um, so we'll watch that unfold. Uh, Jim, another big story coming out of uh, downtown, the capital this time, is um, 
There's a new battle over Confederate monuments. Will they never cease? You now have competing legislation that's been filed, uh, one by Jeff Mullis, uh, who has one approach to all this, and the other by Elena Parent. Uh, talk about it a little. Yeah, the Confederacy isn't dead. It's not even passed. Right? <laughs> to quote Faulkner, right? Yeah. 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 It's, it's, okay. So we've got, we've got two competing bills, one, to, uh, one by Jeff Mullis out of Chickamauga, a uh, big battle. Uh, three, three bills? We've got three bills? Oh. Okay, all right. And, uh, uh, one, by, one by Jeff Mullis uh, that would... Uh, that would uh, uh, assign uh, uh, make make prosecution of 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 people who vandalize Confederate they have to monuments. Pay for the repair, right? The damages exactly. and repair. Exactly. And then the Elena Parent bill would restore local control, I believe, to to uh, to these monuments because the state has has in uh, in that 2001 compromise, the state. Uh, grabbed the authority to do anything with those with, with those things. Now, Ta- now Mary Margaret, third? Mary Margaret's got in, in the city of Decatur. They've got an obelisk there, which was just vandalized. Well, the, the existing law is that the judge has the discretion to order the violator to pay damages. Jeff Mullis' bill says he the judge shall, mm-hmm. and I think that's reasonable. I don't know that these bills are are incompatible. I introduced the bill last year that Alina, in the House that Alina's introducing in the Senate that returns authority to the city of Decatur and DeKalb County about what to do about its Confederate obelisk on, on the right square within 50 yards of my law practice. And uh, there's a fairly interesting, complicated discussion going on about between DeKalb and Decatur. And who wants this <laughs> this monument, where they can take it, if they can get a legal path to do that. But the third bill is, is a little bit more interesting. Is House Bill 175 that I signed with Renita Shannon. It's a little bit more aggressive. It says no tax money shall be spent oh, yeah, to take mm-hmm. care of Confederate monuments and it shall not be on public property. I don't believe these bills are inconsistent. I think these bills all address the issue that we need to do something. And my friend Sheffield Hale at the Atlanta History Center has given me the best kind of direction and analysis and help about this, about how you conceptualize, how you put it in context. Uh, Our history has to be understood in context. And the local conversations that are necessary that he talks about are what can happen if Alina's bill passes. Rusty, I don't want to put you in the crosshairs. (laughs) I'm not aware about any kind of Confederate uh, memorials or uh, uh, other items in Sandy Springs. We have have historic markers that show various troop movements and things like that. And it always does my heart good when I see the legislature returning power back to local government, given the assault we've had on home rule over the last few years. You know, the, 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 it goes to show that history is never over. And you, you, you think you write a history book, and that's the definitive. History is evolving, as is everything else we do. The challenge is, is we're putting our sensibilities back on something that happened 150 years ago now. And, and that's a challenge, how you manage that. We, we have a totally different viewpoint of that than, than my grandmother who flew the Confederate flag in her living room till the day she died. Mm. Uh, and uh, so we have, I think that what Mary Margaret's saying is your context is going to change as your values evolve. And I think it's, not, it's more important that we teach history uh, and, and we don't forget, you can put it in context, but if you remove all, if you remove them all, then you take away the opportunity to talk about it. And I think that the healthy part of this is it invokes conversation, and that's healthy. You know, it, 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 it's uh, really interesting to see the way that that this conversation has changed just since 2001 when, when Roy Barnes forced it by taking down the 56th flag. Uh, I was reading the Marietta Daily Journal newspaper uh, uh, over the weekend, and it was uh, they they spoke of one of these uh, one or two of these bills uh, to uh, on on the Confederate markers, and uh, the reporter went to the mayor of Kennesaw, Kennesaw, uh, you know, home 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 of, home of the battlefield, and Kennesaw has a as a a, a marker uh, d- uh, devoted to the con- uh, uh, Confederate memorial that has a a a battle flag hanging on it, and the reporter asked the the um, mayor, if if he would support taking it down, uh, he wouldn't say yes or no. 
hmm. which is, you know, that's that use. That, there that, was a time when the mayor of Kennesaw would have said, I'll never take it down. Exactly. <laughs> Waving his mandatory gun around. Right. <laughs> I want to emphasize the opportunity to have positive conversation. I think that even though it's painful and it is certainly painful to discuss the exact language that are on the obelisk in Decatur Square, the honor, the fallen dead of our holy cause, you know, that kind of language um, about the honorable cause, the good cause that was lost. It is a positive opportunity to have a discussion, and that's what I think can come from these bills that are not competing. They're all seeking to address some opportunity to Listen to what people are saying in our communities. Well, I want to pick up, though, on your sense. And it's interesting that you put such a positive spin on the three different bills because I think that the Elena Parent bill speaks more to the local community having the right to take down something like the obelisk in, uh, in the square in Decatur, whereas Jeff Mullis is uh, urging that people— better not to face these things. It punishes them if they do. So they are, to some extent, in tension with one another. They're, they're different bills, but it's all about having a conversation about what our values are today in 2019, and that's a positive opportunity. And this third bill, uh, third bill that uh, uh, Mary Margaret was t- talking about, about no taxpayer money. Renita Shannon's bill, uh, yeah. yes. Going to going to, uh, to upkeep or, 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 or purchase. Uh, I think it's probably early, but I think in two two decades, maybe three, that may be where we're headed, where you have you know these the maintenance of these markers uh, kept up by by private groups. Private groups maybe should be taking care of these markers. Rusty, uh, there is a larger issue here, and as a mayor, Mm -hmm. I'd really you should really, uh, if you don't mind, address Mm -hmm. this. I mean, this is about the state took back the right of a city to do what it wants with, uh, with these markers uh, a number of years ago, as Jim pointed out. And, and it's an example, though, of, you know, local control being stripped. I mean, so the largest issue on top of all this is state control of yeah. what a city can do. That's why I started my remarks the way I did. I mean, every I mean, there are probably a dozen bills down there right now, one on, that will be dropped probably today that remove our ability to zone and control design standards in our community. There's been this whole effort. To remo- there's a there's a constitutional provision called the home rule provision in the in the state constitution, that that gives the local governments tremendous responsibilities to oversee a lot of different things, uh, and uh, most of these were done back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s when a lot of the veterans of the Civil War were were, were disappearing. And, and, and the local community raised the money to, to do these things. And uh, it, it might be a solution to uh, turn them over to private groups. And, but, but many of them are in, still in public parks, so that makes it a, that makes it a challenge. It's uh, very confusing in yeah. Decatur because the city of Decatur, the obelisk in Decatur is owned by DeKalb County, but it's totally within the city uh, park of Decatur, the square of Decatur that Decatur maintains. Your lobbyist came to me about the design bill, so congratulations <laughs> to your lobbyist. What is the design it's, bill it, as long as you're there? Well, this, is, this has been going on it, for it, a yeah, couple of years. Last year they, yep. they made us, they only gave us the power to have minimal building standards when applied to wood, which means in savannah and hurricane areas and places like that, they can't have extra hardening. And this year it's about the stuff that goes on outside of buildings. Uh, and uh, it, it's, uh, you know, that's one of those areas that's specifically reserved in the Georgia Constitution, the zoning and land use powers to local government. And uh, I guess we'll probably have to let a Superior Court judge uh, get in the middle of this fight because the General Assembly continually strips local government of the ability to run their own affairs. Jim, I think I just heard the mayor of uh, Sandy Springs threaten to bring a lawsuit. And, 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 and I, think, I, I think we've got – we may have a client attorney privilege going down. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's dissolved when you do it on, on a broadcast. <laughs> all, right. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to watch that unfold uh, as well. Well, Jim, let me let me take a stretch here. I know this is to some extent a leap, but anytime you start talking about Confederacy, Confederate monuments, we've talked on this show about the efforts to do something at, at Stone Mountain Park 
uh, to make it more inclusive in terms of the history it tells not long ago. Attorney General Chris Carr again said, yep, he'd go along with this notion of a bell tower, yeah, uh, let freedom week, ring yeah. mm-hmm. as a tribute to MLK. So r- race is obviously always at play in these things. Um, does what's happening in Virginia to some extent inform how people look at issues like this, or is that too far a stretch? Well, I, th- I think what it reminds us is that it's still very much alive. It's a live discussion. I mean, you're you're you know you're not talking about what your uh, just about what your great grandparents did or your great granddad or your uncle who died in the war did. This is this is stuff that happened in Virginia in 1984. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're in a painful conversation, and and it's painful because we've put it off for so long. We've put it off for so long, and many of us are not willing to do it today, and it's going to be painful for a while. Well, it, it's it's a challenge. There's no question about it. And as I said, you you think that you write a book on history, and that's the last word. History is evolving just like everything else is, and, and you put your own sensibilities back on the actions and activities of your predecessors, and guess what? My grandchildren and great-grandchildren will be, be doing the same thing to me, uh, and that's fair. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, people interpret history and learn lessons from history by applying their values to those actions, and that's a that's a legitimate effort. All right, let's do this. Why don't we get our first break of the show out of the way, and uh, then we can come back. We've got a number of issues that um, involve the state legislature, and we'll got, get to those when we come back from uh, our first break. Hey, this is David Green, host of Morning Edition. I'm here to talk with you about that poking feeling, the one that keeps reminding you to support public radio. You can support the programs you love by donating your used vehicle. That old car or truck could be worth hundreds of dollars to this station. All you have to do is call, and you might even receive a tax deduction. Go to gpb.org slash cars or call 877-GPB-1-CAR and thanks. President Trump falsely claims a border fence in El Paso has drastically cut down on crime. With a powerful barrier in place, El Paso is one of the safest cities in our country. Data suggests the link between a barrier and less crime isn't true, but the president is going to the city to make his point again this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. 4 till 7 today on GPB and gpbnews.org. Welcome back to Political Rewind. A couple of quick announcements. Uh, you just heard, of course, that President Trump will be in El Paso for a rally tonight. He said that it was once one of the most dangerous cities in the country, which the people of El Paso have pushed back hard against. But on tomorrow's show, we'll be talking about that among the many subjects with uh, Alan Abramowitz from Emory University, with Lori Geary, the former political reporter at Channel 2 News, and Leo Smith. Uh, Republican strategist who used to be the minority outreach director at the state Republican Party. And, Rusty, as long as we're doing promotions here, your extraordinary venue, which I've talked about on this show a couple times, City Springs, your, what, 2,000-seat yeah. theater? Well, it's about it's about 1,100 seats. Oh, okay. Yeah. It just feels like it. It just like feels. It. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're right now in the middle of being a major venue for the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival. Right. It's it, we're home. We're home to the, the the festival, and it's really helped transform the festival. A, uh, it's a venue large enough to hold larger uh, crowds to see many of the the films, so they don't have to do them over and over and over again to get people in. But uh, it's a, it's a tremendous uh, opportunity for our community. And, and we're able to expand it and do some different things. We've got Itzhak Perlman coming in a couple of weeks, uh, and he's going to receive the iconic uh, award from the film festival. The crowds have been great. Uh, the attendance and the, and the participation, uh, people are excited, and it's, it's been great. It's just part of what we envisioned when we uh, built that thing. Yeah, it's a pretty astonishing venue. Uh, I, I mentioned it partly because you I wanted mm-hmm. you to get a chance to mention it, that the Jewish Film Festival and Perlman coming in. Also because uh, tomorrow evening, for those of us who are interested in journalism, they're, they're going to be screening up at your place a documentary about Joseph Pulitzer, right, right. You know, who's really kind of considered really the, the founder of modern uh, journalism, and I know that Kenny Blank, who is the, the now the director of the festival, 
wanted that picture here because of the uh, way in which he believes uh, the press has been under some assault uh, recently. That's, I think, screening yeah. at I'm, 6 o'clock. I'm excited to see that particular film as well. Uh, I, I think it—you're uh, right. He's the uh, guy who really kind of changed journalism uh, to uh, make it more reputable, if you— uh, you know, back in the days when, when newspapers yeah. were partisan, political yeah. organs. Jeez, I can't imagine that. Yeah. Uh, Jim Galloway, all right, let's talk about legislature again. Um, about a year ago, I don't know the exact timing, but sometime back, Clay Tippins defeated candidate for uh, uh, governor uh, in the primary campaign, came in to have a meeting with yep. Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle. And uh, what happened in that meeting, Well, Jim? before he walked in, this was, this was a couple days after the primary. I think it was, what, May 22nd or so last year. Uh, before he walked into that meeting with Cagle, he had a, an iPhone with him, and he punched record. Yeah, Cagle was in that point getting set for the runoff against uh, the now governor, Brian Kemp. And he was looking for Tippins' support. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Tippins led him into a conversation on several topics, and within a few weeks, we started listening to those yeah. those conversations. And ma ma mainly, they revealed that Cagle was willing to take a political position on an issue that he disagreed with the position he was taking, but made it clear. To, he said to Tippins, essentially, I've got to do it if I want to get yeah, somewhere. Yeah, 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 it was kind of an exposure of the transactional nature of, of, of the, the politics can take it in the hurt, capital. It, it hurt Cagle. I mean, to the Tremendously. we don't know exactly whether it was uh, the reason he didn't win. The, the uh, Republican nomination has certainly contributed. All right, Mary Margaret, it's a year later. What's going on now at the Capitol? Jeff Mullis has introduced <laughs> a bill that, in, under Georgia law, would require both parties to a recorded conversation to consent. Uh, there are 11 states that already require both parties to consent. So if uh, Clay Tippins in California, for instance, had walked into uh, Casey Cagle's office, C Clay Tippins would have been required to say, I would like to may I have your permission to record this conversation. They would have had a different conversation at that point. So it's a pure policy question. I do think it comes out of a political injury that was done to Casey Cagle. Well, if you go into any meeting, you go into any public place, I even assume that my kids are recording me at home. <laughs> so uh, you better just be on guard because there's a camera and a recorder in every location that you go to. And you, you are under more scrutiny today than you've ever been, or at least potential scrutiny. Uh, so uh, you just have to take that into consideration. I don't know that, I mean, Jeff's a friend. I, you know, I think I know why he's doing it. Uh, no politician likes to be blindsided in the way that the former lieutenant governor was. But, hey, that is, those are the rules of the game. I don't think you can change them. Uh, and uh, you just might as well accept the fact that you're going to be recorded and, and photographed. I think it's also to look at it in the context of private conversations between uh, parties that are involved in domestic violence, mm -hmm. parties that are involved in some other kind of family criminality, some kind of threat, some kind of extortion. It's not only politicians that I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about everyday people, a woman who's terrified in her house and who is always told you can't prove it. I mean, uh, and then we have the, the, the following your teenagers secretly. Right. Uh, there are many, many different ways that we secretly spy on people with one consent. Yeah, uh, Bill, when, 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 this, when news of this came out, uh, uh, I got a very, very quick e email from, from a reader who said that, you know, okay, I've got a, I've got a little camera above my, my door and uh, at home, and it feeds into my cell phone, and when somebody rings my doorbell, I can see uh, who's there, and it, it makes a, a record of it. And if this bill passes, I would have to get the permission of my burglars to, 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 to video, videotape them. Well, and that's, that's important public policy for somebody like us who have a large number of false alarms, 98% of the alarm calls we get. So we're going in June to require the alarm companies to have audio or visual confirmation that there's been an intrusion. And so that would knock that uh, opportunity. It costs us about $775,000 a year to answer false alarms, and we're trying to figure out how to save taxpayers' money by not going on wild goose chases every time the alarm goes off, and that's the way we're trying to deal with it. I really want to come back to Rusty's point, and I say this in my law office daily, and I certainly think it 
24-7. Everything I say and do and everything my client says and do, he, he, she should assume somebody's watching. We do have less privacy in today's world. I accept that. Where the line is is a fair debate. Well, you've got it on the Internet. I mean, when you go on the Internet, you think you've got privacy there. All those the Internet companies are, are tracking where you go. They're recording your behavior. So this is much broader than just somebody taking a phone into a meeting. There's a lot of implications in today's world about uh, and how we live that this could have some ramifications. I would like to have a good policy debate about yeah. this. I'll it, be interested how this bill is managed. Yeah. Well, that's what I was just going to ask. I don't know what you're hearing, Jim. I spent some time down at the Capitol today and and, and talked to several legislators who said they don't think this bill is going to get very far at all. Now, that certainly remains to be seen. It's a little early to start predicting <laughs> what bills are and are not going to pass. Well, but. well, I think what you would have to – look, look uh, uh, Tippins made his re- recording – uh, after, after he was out of the race and in the midst of a runoff between Casey Cagle and Brian Kemp, it seems to me that if this bill moves any, it would have to be a quiet admission on the part of Governor Kemp that he benefited from something that, that, was, that was improper. So and let, and, and I, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay, so let me ask you all, as we move from this to another subject, before we do move on, it— is this an important issue? Is the ability for one person to record a conversation uh, with another person without their knowing about it, is it a significant issue that does deserve a full public policy debate, or is it a sideshow to some extent? Uh, privacy is a very important public well, issue. Right? Which privacy. would argue in favor of two-party consent. It, 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 I can argue it both ways. <laughs> well, of course, you're an attorney. <laughs> but it's an important issue, and it's at the center of many things we talk about because we are in a very different world right now. Mm-hmm. I believe we're in a very different world on the definition of privacy and ha- what can we accept, what can we tolerate. And, and let, me re- let, remind, let me remind everyone that uh, it was one-party recording that brought down a president in 1974. He Richard chose Nixon. To record. He recorded himself. Right. He, he recorded record. himself, right. but, he, but he didn't inform right. the people right. he was talking to. Right. And he needed to be brought down. Rusty, you I want mean, the that last, was a good thing. You get the last well, word on I, this I agree one, with Rusty. Mary Margaret. We have gone through such a rapid and profound uh, transformation in the area of privacy. There, it, that, that word doesn't exist anymore, but it should at some level. We need to make sure we are able to control the information about us and what we do at some level. I'm not sure what that is, but having the conversation about where to draw the lines in today's rapidly changing technological world, I think is a crucial discussion we ought to have uh, that transcends, uh, you know, whether one person's recording or not, because it is so pervasive, the invasion of privacy in so many areas today that most people don't even have a clue that they're being recorded. And you can be the richest man on the planet. Jeff Bezos, you could be the yep. richest man on the planet and not be able to protect yourself yep. on yep. privacy. So yep. I think it's, it's an important conversation. This is not this is it's much broader than whether exactly. you can record one person or not. OK, um, let's talk some more about the legislature. Jim, you made a really interesting observation in a story in Political Insider the other day. At least I thought I saw your hand in this story. Um there's a legislator down there. I think he just won his second term, despite the fact that leadership tried to get him out. Matt Gertler, right, Republican. Tiger, Tiger, Georgia. Up in Tiger, Georgia. He's kind of known as Dr. Mo, uh, no, Mary Margaret's already holding her head in her hands as we talk about him. Why is he known as Dr. No? Uh, because he casts more no votes than anybody in the in the legislature, House or Senate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he is just pretty much a, 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 a an anti-government activist on the floor of the legislature. So we've known this for a while now. We saw that behavior, that pattern of behavior last session, which is one of the reasons that uh, the Speaker and other leadership in the House, Republicans, went up there to campaign against him. But now 
uh, he's involved himself in an issue that has some real meaning for some of the Republicans in the legislature. And let's kind of unravel it and then turn it over to well, Rusty and, and, and Mary and, and Margaret. Most more important, but he has been joined. He's, 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 By one? He's, yes. he's, got, he's got an ally now. So to set it up, there was a vote the other day on naming the new Judicial Center in honor of former Governor Nathan Deal. There were two votes against doing that, Gertler and his new colleague, Colton Moore. Of Trenton, also in North Georgia. Okay. Why? So what, Mary Margaret, first of all, what, what's, what do you all think about this kind of uh, uh, relationship to, you know, yes and no voting that's going on with him? Well, I'll speak personally. It's fascinating to me. Of course, I'm a Democrat sitting over there with my hands folded, yeah. not bothering anybody watching this. <laughs> and the anger that these young men are generating among the leadership was pretty interesting last week on the appropriations bill. I mean, Mr. Gertler gets up and says, I don't think government should be private, giving any private money to anybody. And um, the the response was one of anger. You are in a district with uh, young Harris. Do you think the uh, whole, whole money should go to that private school? He has that big resort up there that was funded by government funding a private developer. I was in the back rooms of a lot of the Senate. I mean, when all that was funded, Zell wanted to fund the Brasstown Conference right. Center up there. The hypocrisy of saying that you don't want government money supporting private entities just really angered people. And it was interesting that the folks in who work on the appropriations at the highest level work very, very hard and um, were really angered. So he's generating, he's being more aggressive in his questions this year. His hypocrisy is more evident and being called out. Um, it's not a funny conversation to some of these guys. Well, it makes a mockery. of you, You're there to represent a group of people uh, and, 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 and vote in what's in their best interest, using your best judgment on how that should be done. Uh, and just to simply refuse to engage on the issues and just simply to vote no takes away their voice. Uh, you should be thoughtful in these jobs, and uh, uh, I, I, it, it would drive me to distraction because I take what I do seriously. And the most every, Mary Margaret, everybody else down there, they weigh the issues, they vote in a manner based on their values and their philosophies and their what's important to them. They have, that's an important part of judging what how you vote. Uh, but just to simply be the negative vote, that, that, that makes a mockery of the and, process. And, and it has implications. It has very real implications. Uh, uh, there is a bill, uh, HB2, I believe, uh, to advocate for constitutional carry, what's called constitutional carry, which would mean you'd be able to con uh, con uh, carry concealed weapons without a permit. Okay? The first two signatures on that bill uh, belong to Mark Gertler and Colton Moore. Uh, when as soon as I saw the the vote on the on the Nathan Deal resolution, I realized you know that that th that HB two has some serious problems now. It's not going to move. And and of course we know that Brian Kemp during his campaign for governor uh, talked extensively about wanting to expand uh, uh, carry uh, in Georgia. And uh, there may be other legislation that comes forward, but but it won't be that bill. Yeah, it won't be that bill. But when. Uh Speaker Ralston was on your program, and he said long before Mr. Moore and Mr. Gutler voted against naming the judicial building after their congressman, of course they were probably only 10 at that point when he was congressman, <laughs> but uh, for Nathan Deal, I, Speaker Ralston said a good while ago. He said he, he was opposed to it. He was opposed to constitutional right, right. carry. But what's, what's different, what feels different to me this year is the aggressiveness of Mr. Gertler questioning the chairman of the Appropriations Committee on the floor of the House. And Mr. Moore screamed out during the appropriations debate, which is against the House rules. And the Speaker did quietly say that's against... You know, he, he said it, he was just moved to yell. Well, that's teenage stuff that is pretty irritating to many people. So uh, let me, we're going to move on from this, except uh, when you walked in, Mary Margaret, we talked about the fact that Matt Gertler got a standing ovation during the session this morning, and Robert Jimison just sent us a tweet for what the bill was. He voted yes. 
on a measure bill. EMC's having broadband and got a standing ovation on the floor. Well, you know, at the same time, people have the right to elect whom they want to represent them. They know what his position is. It was made very clear in the last election. They returned him. So they've got a right to do that. All right. Speaking. All right. I want to do this very quickly because we got to get to another break. But Mary Margaret, you know uh, that uh, sometimes a vote has consequences that can go down for years and years and even decades. This past week, we are bemoaning the loss of SunTrust, which of course is now wow. merging with BB&T, which has its corporate headquarters in Charlotte, where the banking industry is now ensconced. Charlotte has become the banking center of the Southeast. Atlantic was that and could still be that, but a vote that's got to be at least 20 years old, if not more, changed that forever, didn't it? I think it might have been more than 20. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think it was more. Because I think I was in my first term of the House. I think I was in my first term of the House. All right, you two, tell us what what happened. Well, that was before CNS. I mean, we still had CNS Bank around here when all that was going on. Yeah. So what happened? Well, they passed legislation to to promote community banking that made it difficult for larger banks to open branches around the state. Uh, And so what has happened now, uh, as banks go through the acquisition phase, and there's a lot of turnover with banks. uh, And so when when Atlanta banks merged with others, they went to where the law was more favorable, and the law for banks is much more favorable in North Carolina than Georgia. And even though that happened probably 30, 35 years ago, we haven't done anything to change it since, so we lost another one. There were interests. I mean, Tom Murphy, the speaker at the time, believed that you had to protect the interests of local people who wanted to open their own banks. We had legislators who were opening uh, banks and it changed everything, Mary Margaret. It changed everything. And it, it really, the, the significance of SunTrust, the Coca-Cola Bank, the King and Spalding Bank, going to North Carolina, we lose $40 million, Jay Powell told me, off the top of the, on some federal something tax. I should be more articulate about that. It's going to cost, uh, has cost us, will cost us, significant. If I look around my square where I've practiced law 30 years on the square with the Confederate obelisk, used to be Decatur Federal, Decatur Prime. All those banks are gone. Georgia Federal. They were all, all right there on the square. I was a charter member of Decatur, Decatur First yeah. Bank. They're all gone. Well, so, what happens, the challenge for us now is, is access to capital. That's what banks represent. Uh, and uh, so it's going to be tougher, despite the fact that many of the jobs will stay here. Getting to the decision makers when you need capital is going to necessitate a trip. Big Big capital. I'm not not talking about a local home home loan or something like that. When you need some serious capital, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to drive 250 miles to Charlotte to go ask for it. When you're talking about the gulch or or something of that size, yeah. Serious capital, that's one of them. But just in terms of how it affects people, in my law practice, I am not allowed to talk to any lawyer for Wells Fargo, Bank of America, all those. They, they, the the, who, the pre- local branch guy will say, well, I have to talk to legal about yeah. that. I said, well, give me the name of, no, I can't give you the name. So my access on behalf of individual customers, individual service, is totally cut off by this phenomenon. I, I hope I'm rem- remembering this uh, uh, this uh, fact from one of our stories correctly. Uh, the uh, the reporter, reporter wrote that, that uh, B, B, BB&T and uh, SunTrust had a total of, a combined total of 3,000 branches mm-hmm. in the state, and 750 of them were within two miles or uh, of each other, which yeah. means one of those 750 are going to go. It's Andy yeah. Springs there across the street from I, each yeah. other. All right, I got to get to another break, uh, and we'll uh, do that right this minute. And when we get back, we got a few more stories that I think are really worth our while. Uh, this is Political Rewind. On the next Fresh Air, Athletes and the Strange Science of Recovery. Christy Ashwanden talks with Terry about how the human body recovers from injuries. She's tried the latest recovery products, from electrolyte drinks and compression sleeves to cryotherapy and float tanks. And we talk with Adam Savage, host of Mythbusters Jr., about engineering, science, and blowing stuff up. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 here on GPB and gpbnews.org. (laughs) 
touchdown. John Nelson here from GPB Sports reminding you that in Georgia, the four seasons are not winter, spring, summer, and fall. It is football, spring football, Cruton, and National Signing Day. On the Football Fridays in Georgia podcast, we'll tell you the stories on and off the field. Subscribe at gpb.org forward slash sports and wherever your favorite podcasts are found. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Sandy Springs Mayor Rusty Paul, veteran Decatur legislator Mary Margaret Oliver, panelists on today's show. And Jim Galloway, of course, is here because it's Monday. He's with us on Mondays and Fridays. Jim, about a week or so ago, uh, there's a reason why you're the lead political writer. You said that Doug Collins, now the ranking member of the uh, Judiciary Committee, was going to be the first line of defense for President Trump. And last Friday, when they had the hearings in which the when acting Attorney General Whitaker came up to the Hill, we saw that in action, didn't we? Yeah, we did. It, it was it was it was a pretty good show. Have we got sound on it? Oh, we do. Let's listen to just a little bit of uh, Georgia Representative Doug Collins. Uh, 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 talking about what he considered the farce of Whitaker's being called to testify. We now have the reason for this hearing. It has nothing to do with the oversight of DOJ. It has everything to do, as we found out this morning in a document dump from the Democratic side of this committee and also another committee, that this is nothing more than a character assassination. And we're going to also decide to see if we can just do something and get at the president while we're had the chance. We're going to have plenty of theatrics. Bring your popcorn. I'm thinking about maybe we just set up a popcorn machine in the back because that's what this is becoming. It's becoming a show. So, I mean, the whole issue was Whitaker was being called by the Democrats in charge of the committee to testify as to whether the president had talked to him about the uh, Mueller's investigation and whether he was going to do anything to uh, stifle it as acting AG. Right. And, and the, the situation is that, of course, in all the uh, in the Democratic uh, takeover, of course, you had uh, uh, new committee assignments. Uh, Doug Collins became the ranking member of the House Judiciary C- Committee. The House, of course, is the, 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 the chamber in which any impeachment proceedings will begin, and the House Judiciary Committee is where those things would first be held. So he is, he is literally the first line of, of defense for Donald Trump if, if, uh, if the Robert Mueller report gets serious and we have impeachment. Well, Doug just took on the job of being the chief javelin catcher for Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I know it, David it, Perdue it, might fight him well, for that know, assignment. But, uh, but in that in that committee, in yeah. that committee, which uh, which Jim accurately stated, is where in any impeachment, a lot of investigations occur. Uh, he's got a tough job ahead of him. You know, and he's he's such a mild man. He's a minister. You know, a former Air Force uh, officer. You don't. A you very don't look, bipartisan guy. Yeah, you don't look at him as being the. But he represents the most conservative district, one of the most conservative districts in in the country. So uh, he, he's going to get famous fast. Yeah, it's fascinating. Mar- Mar- fascinating to me. It's a dramatic example of how Washington and Georgia are different. I worked with Doug Collins a lot down here. He's a new lawyer. He is. Uh, family, uh, just a lovely, I've never heard that tone of voice from him, that kind of mocking, charging kind of thing. Uh, I would never have guessed that that's the kind of tone of voice. It, the, but that will be his job, to be nasty to people in a very nasty environment. Well, to be fair, we do know that Whitaker was called to testify at a point where he has a week left, probably, to be acting attorney general. I don't know that there's a fair conversation I can have about Whitaker. Well, I mean, <laughs> my point is, there's only, you know, he was asked repeatedly, Rusty, during these hearings, uh, if he would promise that he would do this, this, and this in his role as attorney general by Democrats who were worried. His role as attorney general is coming to an end. I, I'm not sure you can... It seems it's perfectly fair to say what conversations might you have had with the president? How might he have tried to get you to to, uh, uh, go after Mueller to some extent? It's another thing to treat him as if he's going to be the attorney general going into the future. I do think there's a point to be made there. And and, and that that gets to the heart of of what Mary Margaret said is is the adults have all left the room. (laughs) And it's sad. 
It's sad. I worked in Washington. You talked about Kemp. He'd call me and said, come on, we're going over to see Lieberman. Come on, we're going to go over to see Charlie Rangel. We're going to work something out. And that opportunity to, to focus on the, the problems of the country is gone, whether it's immigration, whether it's the budget, whatever, that ability to sit down, put a bottle of Jack Daniels on the table and say, all right, we're not leaving here until we either get drunk or we solve the problem or we both. Okay, uh, two things on, on, on Collins uh, after, after we finish that drink. Uh, uh, number one is Collins was the, the fellow who helped push through this uh, criminal justice reform that uh, bipartisan that Donald Trump just He was signed. one of the major players. Exactly. And let me, let me tell you a story about uh, in, in, in the state capitol, he earned a reputation very much as a man of principle. That uh, We had a House speaker, a uh, first Republican House speaker named Glenn Richardson, okay? Uh, another House member, a fellow named David Ralston, decided to challenge him, all right? Uh, at that time, Doug Collins was a military chaplain, chaplain. He was stationed in Iraq. He made a point of, from Iraq, casting a vote for David Ralston for speaker. It, it deep-sixed him with, with the, with the uh, House Republican crew for, for, uh, for a good bit, uh, but in the end, uh, he, he held tight to his principles. He's a lovely man. When I knew him, in every context, he was a go-to guy to work with, uh, and he was a lovely he took. He rose very quickly. He's a high talent. He became very uh, prominent officer of the Appropriations Committee quickly. A high talent individual. And hear him kind of screaming and shouting at Whitaker was just kind of bad. All right. To me. All right. Well, we know what the partisan mess in Washington, yeah. the cauldron that those folks end up in, and it's certainly happening to Democrats as well, well as they, Republicans. They've, they've lost sight that you serve the your party best. By serving the country first. All right, we are just about out of time for today's show. I do want to update you on a story. Those of you who were with us on Friday, uh, when we talked about with Chuck Cook, Charles Cook, who's the immigration attorney, one of the best in the Southeast, he's representing the rapper name is twenty, named known as Twenty One Savage. His name is Shea Bin Abraham Joseph. He was uh, arrested on Super Bowl Sunday here, taken into custody by ICE. He'd been here since he was five, six years old. He was supposed to be at last night's Grammy. He was he was <laughs> a nominee last, last night. Time, yeah. And on Friday's show at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Chuck was waiting to hear whether the courts were going to uh, release him uh, so that he could at least await whatever ICE proceedings there would be uh, as a free person. Uh, we learned at about 5 or 6 o'clock Friday evening that uh, Shea is still being held in custody by ICE. And it remains, Jim, a major national story, partly because it suddenly tells us, oh, there are African, there are black uh, undocumented immigrants. We don't see that very often. Right, right. Uh, the 21 Savage is from, is, is from uh, London. Yes. His parents brought him over when he was a child. Uh, he, as, as Cook said, he would have qualified for DACA, except for the fact that he dropped out of high school. So there's that aspect of his, uh, the reason he's getting a lot of attention. And, of course, it, it points to the Trump uh, immigration policy. So we're going to follow that story, but I just wanted to update you since we talked about it on Friday's show with uh, Chuck Cook. Uh, Rusty Paul, Mary Margaret Oliver, what a pleasure to have you both here. Jim Galloway, thank you. You'll be back on Friday when we think Attorney General Chris Carr may very well be coming to be part of the show to talk about this proposal. First Republican to propose, let's pay tribute to MLK on top of Stone Mountain. We'll talk with him, I hope, if we can work that out. All right, that's it for us. Thanks for uh, listening. We'll be back with you on tomorrow at 2 o'clock. So hope you can join us then. <laughs>